The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, good morning. Uh, my name's Eric. I'm the lead teaching pastor here, and it's good to be back with you. For last week, I took the week off for some uh, rest, and uh, John Lewis did an amazing job bringing the word last week. Uh, so if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, go ahead and grab those and open them up to Isaiah chapter 44, Isaiah 44. Uh, if you have trouble finding that in the Bible, you can go to the table of contents, or what I like to do is uh, just open your Bible right in half. You should be somewhere in Psalms, and then start flipping a little bit to the right, and then you'll find it. It's a big book, 44. Has anyone ever said to you, somebody's got a case of the Mondays? <laughs> ever heard that term? The case of the Mondays. That's a term, uh, if you look it up on Urban Dictionary, it's a, it's a term that is used for someone uh, who's in a bad mood on a Monday morning. All right, it's, it's a term used for somebody who uh, just got through the weekend and now they're starting their work week and they dread being there. And uh, it's kind of this downcast, you know, moody, grumpy, angry Monday morning uh, feeling. Uh, okay, so maybe you've never been accused of having a case of the Mondays. How many of you feel like that on Monday morning from time to time? All right, a few of you. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever been accused of having the case of the Fridays? No, that's not a term. I just made that up, by the way. Case of the Fridays. You know, studies show that people uh, have more joy on Fridays than they do Mondays. Uh, studies show that, that people are actually nicer to other people on Fridays versus Mondays. That people uh, tip better on Fridays than Mondays. That people uh, overall generally have a better attitude on Fridays rather than Mondays. And, and so do you know why that is? Why are people nicer on Fridays than Mondays? One word, hope. It's hope. It's hope. Even, even, even in uh, uh, hope in the weekend, it fills us with some joy. Because hope, listen to me, it leads to joy. And joy, when it's full and it overflows, it overflows into loving other people. That's what happens. And so hope produces a joy and joy produces love. And so on Fridays, what happens is we get a glimpse of hope, don't we? The weekend's coming. It's so close, I can almost taste it. The weekend's coming. I don't have to work tomorrow. I get a day off. Like, rest is coming. Relaxation is coming. Uh, 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 you know, recreation is coming. Like, all of these things I can think of. And, and some of you, you just finished school, or you're about to finish school, and you can taste that summer break, can't you? Oh, and, and so all of a sudden, we're nicer to people, and we're filled with joy because that break is coming. And on Fridays, we get a glimpse of this hope. And listen, if your weekend looks bright enough, like, like if it's really uh, filled with a lot of things, our excitement and our joy will start to bubble over, and all of a sudden, we'll start to uh, love people in ways that we normally wouldn't on Mondays. Listen, it happens on Fridays. It happens right before vacations. How many of you ever get excited about going on vacation? Right? That week before you go on vacation, you're like, oh man, it is almost here. I am two days away. I am three days away from getting on this. It happens on vacations. Listen, it happens on birthdays. Oh, my birthday's coming up. Oh, I get really excited. Or it happens, uh, it, it happens not only uh, on birthdays, but it happens on Christmas. That's why it's the most 
joyful time of the year. There's an anticipation. There's a hope that is coming. And so listen, if it's true that we have more hope and anticipation for the weekend, and hope leads to joy, and joy leads to love, if that's true, then that should help us see that the good news of the gospel is our deepest need for hope. That the gospel is actually the one thing that will fill us with hope. Why? Because listen, if we can agree that weekends fill us with hope, or Fridays fill us with hope, or vacations fill us with hope, we can agree that those things are imperfect in themselves, aren't they? Because what does every weekend end with? Monday morning. Right? They're imperfect. Vacations always come to an end. They cost money. Birthdays, they come with presents, but they also come with old age. Some of you are like, I want to be older. But when you, when you get older, you like start to have pains in places that you normally didn't know you had. Right? I'm 42, I'm already experiencing that. The heart of the gospel is that there is a glorious God. A God who loves his children in such a way that he would be willing to send his only son to sacrifice his son for all the ways that we deserve to die. You see, we, we have a glorious God and we've all chased other things. We've all ran after everything. We actually look for satisfaction in other things besides God. And the Bible says that when we do that, it's called sin. And sin in the end leads to separation from God, which equates death. And so what happens is there has to be a mediator. There has to be one that would come and take our place, a perfect one, a righteous one. And Jesus comes and he lives the life that we could not live. And he dies the death that we deserve to die. And he raises to life again, giving us a promise, a guarantee of an eternal future hope with him. That's the good news, is that we have an eternal, never-ending, eternal hope with God, which means that God is purchasing the best possible future for me, the best possible future for those who would believe and trust in Jesus Christ. And so the Bible says in Jeremiah 29, it says that, that God knows the plans that he has. So we're talking about a future. We're talking about tomorrow. We're talking about eternity. It says that God knows the plans that he has for you. And it's not a plan of evil. It's actually a, a plan of, of, of prosperity. It's a plan of growth. It's a part of plan to know God. And it says, I have a plan for you. And I have a plan to give you a future and what? A hope. God wants to give you hope. Because hope leads to joy, and joy leads to love, and love glorifies God. And so here we are. God wants to give you hope in Jesus Christ. God wants to give you an assurance of a future for you in Jesus Christ. And so when our hope is in Jesus and his plans for us, it overflows into joy and it overflows into love. And so most Christians hear me now, they, they've learned that Jesus is the one that they need for the forgiveness of sins, like it's some type of one-time transaction that happened when I was a kid. But so few people really see Jesus as their continuous hope, as their eternal hope 
as the one that's going to continue to sustain them. Listen, Jesus does. It says when we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins. And so he cleansed us white as snow. But upon that cleansing, he does even more in us and he fills us with hope. The fullness of joy and the freedom of love won't ever come until our future hope is found on the promises of God that are in Jesus Christ. And so to wrap up this Overcome series, I want to tell you that we will not overcome until we find our hope in Christ alone. We will not overcome until we find our hope in Christ alone. And so in order for us to be overcomers, we need to honestly ask ourselves a question, where is my hope? Where's your hope? Where's your hope? I mean, what do you look to when you're struggling? What gets you through the desert or the hard times? When, when, when something doesn't go your way, I mean, what do you look to to help you persevere in that time? Is it Friday's coming? Oh, I just got two more days, and then Friday's going to be here, and then I'll get the weekend. So, so do you put your hope in the weekend like that's going to sustain you? Or maybe the next vacation? Oh, you know, I just got one more month and then I'm on vacation for a week. That's going to be great. And so do you set your mind on that type of hope? Or, or maybe uh, I've got this bonus check coming. If I, once I get that, that's my hope. And so we have to honestly ask ourselves the question, what do you think about, what do you dwell upon when it comes to where is your hope? Where's your hope? Listen, our souls were made for hope. Hebrews 6.11, it says that the gospel gives those who believe a full assurance of hope. Romans 5.2 says that hope leads to the fullness of joy. Colossians 1 says that joy overflows into freedom to love. And, and that freedom to love glorifies God because God supplies it all. And so until we can feel our full assurance of hope in Jesus Christ and his promises for those who would believe, if we're not there yet, then our lives will continually look like we're running on a hamster wheel chasing the cheese. You with me on that? Anybody feel like they're running the hamster wheel of life? Trying to get ahead, trying to just do a little more? Or, or, or what happens is we run this race of self-centeredness and it leads to frustration. And listen, if that's your race, if that's your life, then the only thing we can long for is a weekend. Maybe, maybe just a day to step off the wheel. That would be our only hope. It, the Bible says, Paul says, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, he says, we're not one who just simply hopes in this life only. He says, if we hope in this life only, then, then we're most to be pitied. You should feel sorry for us Christians. But he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. He's talking about our hope is not in this life only. Our hope is in God. And so knowing that every Friday gives way to Monday, it should create in us a longing for the more and more of Jesus. When Monday comes, or any day for that matter that doesn't go your way, in Christ you can still rejoice. In Christ, you can still rejoice over earthly, temporary sufferings. Because Romans 5 says that we know that that suffering produces endurance. And that endurance produces character. And that character produces hope. 
and hope. What does hope do? Hope, it does not put us to shame. It does not disappoint us. Why? Because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. Listen, the Holy Spirit wants to fill you with hope. The Holy Spirit wants to fill you with hope. And where does that hope come from? It's when we know the love of God. When we know the love of God, it fills us with an assurance. It fills us with a hope. And listen, how does that come? That's the question we should be asking. How do we best experience our hope in Christ? How can we, as Christians, abound in hope? The answer is by the power of the Holy Spirit. It only comes through the Spirit. We don't need the Spirit to hope in a weekend. We need the Spirit to help us hope and be assured of the never-ending love of Christ for us. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. As believers, the Holy Spirit is given to us to remind our hearts of the never-ending, never-ceasing, never-given-up, always-running-us-down love of God. That's what it wants to do. That's what the Spirit does. Listen to Romans 15, 13. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. In order that, so the reason why he gives you joy, the reason why he brings peace, the reason why he wants you to believe, in order that the power of the Holy Spirit, you might abound in hope. The Holy Spirit wants to fill your life with hope to overcome. That's what he wants to do. The Holy Spirit fills us with hope when the eyes of our hearts are open to the love of God. We can see the love of God clearly. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So if that's true, if hope leads to joy, joy leads to overflows into love, and all of that glorifies God, and we receive that hope, the source of that hope is through the Holy Spirit, then the question is then, Eric, how are we filled with the Holy Spirit? That comes from the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit. The answer is this, to meditate Think on, dwell on, saturate yourself upon the hope-giving promises of God. The Holy Spirit will bring to light of your heart the hope-filled promises of God. The way God's Spirit fills us with hope is by filling us and reminding us of his own promises. That's what he does. Listen, Hope, it's, it's not a vague emotion. It's not something we can go to the store and pick up. It's not something that we can conjure up ourselves. It's not something that we can just tap ourselves on the back and say, come on. Right? And so David in the psalm, Psalm 42, he, he, says, he says, why are you so downcast, oh my soul? Why am I so lowly here? Hope in God. Hope in God, he says. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us hope in God. Hope, it's a confidence that God knows our future, that God has our future, that God is our future. And that future is promised to us by the word of God. And so when we read the word, when we saturate in the word, the Holy Spirit brings those promises to us. And so the way to be filled with hope from the Spirit is to believe the promises of God's word for us. And so our text today in Isaiah 44 
is probably the most foundational, most significant promise that you and I need to know in order to overcome. So let's read it together. Isaiah 44, starting in verse 1. He says, But now, hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I've chosen. Everyone say chosen. chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you. The Lord who formed you in the womb and the Lord who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant. Jerusalem, whom I've chosen, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessings upon your descendants. And they shall spring up among the grass like willows by a flowing stream. The one, this one. He will say, I am the Lord's, and another will call on the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand the Lord's, the name himself by the name of Israel. The promise that we have to overcome in verse 3 is that God will pour out his spirit. That's a capital S in that text. That stands for the Holy Spirit. He says, I will pour out my spirit. In this text, he says, there's a day coming where I'm going to fill my servants with my spirit. In the day of Pentecost, they were all gathered together and they were praying together. And Jesus said, wait here until I fill you with my spirit and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. And the spirit is coming. And so now there's a day where we can, as children of God, receive the Holy Spirit. We will be filled with God himself. Now, this idea of pouring, it's the idea of abundance. If I said, hey, look outside right now, it's pouring. What do you think I mean by that? It's misting? Sprinkling? No. You walk outside, you're going to get drenched. Like, you're going to get soaked. And so this idea of God's pouring actually equates to being drenched with the Spirit, being filled, being saturated with the Spirit. Listen, God promised that his servants, his children, will be drenched with the Spirit. Therefore, listen to me. It should be our delight as Christians to be drenched with the Spirit. It should be our longing. It should be our craving. It should be what we're wanting more than anything else to continually seek the Spirit of God filling us and saturating us and drenching us to no end, which means, listen, we should not be content until we're drenched with the Spirit. Listen, we should not be content with just simply going to church. We shouldn't be just simply content on doing the motions or doing the things. We should actually ask God, God, fill me, drench me with your spirit. Let me be a witness for you. Now, the question is why? Why should we long to be drenched with the spirit? Well, there's three reasons, and they're all found in this text alone. I'm telling you, it's pouring outside. (laughs) Verse 2 He says, fear not. Everyone say, fear not. Fear not, not, O Jacob, my servant. Listen, when God the Holy Spirit saturates, is poured out upon your life, listen to me, it overcomes fear. When we're drenched with the Holy Spirit, it overcomes fear. He says, don't be afraid. 
He says, you're safe. He says, don't you know I made you? I formed you. I chose you. That's what it says in the text. Listen, I formed you. I made you. You're mine. You don't have to be afraid. You are safe. You are mine. Fear not. When we're saturated with the Spirit, it overcomes fear. Listen, when God says you are safe because you are mine, he doesn't mean you're safe from trouble. He doesn't say you're safe from hardship or heartache. He says, I'm your God and you are my child, which means you are safe from everything that God knows is not good for you. And sometimes heartache and hardship are good for us. But God knows it. He says, you're safe. I'm going to protect you from anything that's not good for you. I'm going to lead you in paths of righteousness. Listen, when you are drenched with the Spirit, you are drenched with an assurance that Mondays come from God just like Fridays. That valleys come from God just like peaks of the mountain. We can be assured. We can have a hope that we are God's. That's why he says, don't be afraid. When we're drenched with the assurance that pain and sorrow, listen to me, are not punishment. Maybe you're going through some hard time right now. Maybe you have some pain in your life. Maybe, maybe you feel like you're never going to get, listen, it's not punishment for you. It's an opportunity for you to experience the peace of God that passes understanding for you. And so what happens is, is we think, oh, I'm under punishment. Listen, you're, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, you're not under wrath. You're under mercy. All of God's wrath was poured out upon his son, upon that cross, so that you and I, when we put our faith in him, we're not under punishment. God's not looking at you trying to punish you. He already punished his son. There's no more punishment to be given for sin. He says, my punishment was poured out. You're under grace and you're under mercy. Would you receive that today? And when you know you're not under punishment, that whatever befalls your life is for the glory of God and for your good, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. You can walk in hope and you can walk in confidence. Whatever seems fearful for you, be filled with the Spirit. It overcomes fear. Maybe, maybe you're here and, and you just, maybe you're having a hard time at home. Maybe your relationships at home are, are not going the way that you want them to go. Listen, God says, fear not. Maybe, maybe your marriage is not what you thought it would be. God says, fear not. Maybe, maybe you're afraid of of, of losing someone. Maybe, maybe you're afraid of a diagnosis that may come back from the doctor this week. God says, fear not. Maybe, maybe you're afraid because bills are piling up. Or maybe you're afraid that your boss may be about to lay you off. God says, fear not. You're mine. I chose you. I created you. I formed you. You don't have to be afraid. Maybe, maybe tomorrow you're, you're facing a, a threatening or an unwanted conversation that you don't really want to have. God says, fear not. You see, be filled with the Spirit so that we don't have to live in fear. Many people have difficulty overcoming 
because we have a difficulty really abounding in hope. We don't abound in hope really for two reasons. Number one, we believe misery is coming. Or number two, we believe, we believe happiness is not. So when I look at my life, I believe that heartache and misery is coming my way. And so I can't abound in hope. Or we believe that happiness is not for me. Maybe I won't ever be happy. And so we don't abound in hope. And so our hearts, listen, we become exhausted. We become exhausted fearing the future, never tasting the joy that is found in Christ. But listen, whatever is making you fearful, whatever is making you anxious about tomorrow, when you are drenched with the Holy Spirit, he opens your hearts to see the promises of God in his word, and he fills you with an overcoming spirit over fear. Look in verse 3. So not only does he drench us with his spirit in order to overcome fear, but verse 3 says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. So what he's saying here is not only does the Holy Spirit, when he fills you, when he drenches you, when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon you, not only do you not have to be afraid, but now the longings of my thirsty soul are satisfied. He says, I'm going to pour water on your thirsty soul. Anybody ever have a thirsty soul? You ever find yourself in that season where you're just longing for, for God, where you're just needing God to show up in a mighty way, and you're just, your soul is just thirsty? This says that when, you, when God pours out his spirit upon you, your soul thirst is quenched. It says, it says that we will taste a satisfaction in God that we can't find anywhere else. We'll find a satisfaction in God that we'll spend our whole lives drinking from. Have you ever tasted something so good that you just long to taste it again? That's what God does through his spirit. He says, I, I will satisfy that thirsty soul that nothing else can fill. So the promise for us in God when he drenches us with the spirit is just what we need. Fear removed and our thirsty souls satisfied. But that's not all. Look in verse 4. He says, They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This implies that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is not supposed to be simply a one-time thing, but rather a continual thing. And he says that the pouring, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, drenching you with the Spirit, is not a random thing. Listen, uh, I spent, uh, up to about a month ago, I spent about three or four months not having to cut the grass. Because it didn't grow. But up to about four weeks ago, I've had to cut my grass constantly now. I mean, it's, it's, it's growing now. And so listen to me. What this just said is that when the Holy Spirit drenches us, there's going to be dry seasons. But listen, when your roots are going down into the promises of God, like water a stream, like willows by a stream, you may endure the winter season because spring is coming and the Spirit, when he drenches you, he will make you grow. 
He'll make you flourish. He'll make you prosper. He'll make you grow up just like the grass. And so listen to me, child of God. If you feel like you've just been in that winter season, you've been in that desert, listen, sink your roots down into the promises of God through the Holy Spirit and receive the nourishing water that flows from God. And he will allow you to grow. Right now, you may feel like your life is a desert. Listen, cling to God's word. Cling to God's promises. He tells me that if I'm dredged with the Spirit, I will satisfy myself in the promises of God, and I will be able to endure the winter. I will grow up. And so our hearts, when we're drenched with the Spirit, just cries out for the spring. Oh, Lord, would you just spring in my life? Would you just spring up in my heart? Would you just bring hope back to my life so that I can have joy and that joy would overflow in love, which glorifies you? But here's the main promise, verse 5. It ends big. So, when we're drenched with the Spirit, we don't have to be afraid. When we're drenched with the Spirit, our souls are satisfied. When we are drenched with the Spirit, we will have the ability to endure the dry seasons. But not only that, this one, this one, drenched with my Spirit, this one will say, I am the Lord's. Everyone say, I am the Lord's. Another will call upon the name of Jacob. The name Jacob, it means one who wrestles with God. The one who has God so close that, that you need God so badly that you won't let him go. It says when you're filled and drenched with the Spirit, not only will you say, I am the Lord's, but you're going to wrestle with God. You're going to cling to God. He says, and another will write on his hand the Lord's. Everyone say the Lord's. So one will cry out to God, another will write on his hand the Lord's, the name myself by the name of Israel. Do you know what the name Israel means? It means God prevails. So listen to me. When we are filled, when we are drenched with the Holy Spirit, we will say, I am the Lord's, and the Lord, the Lord prevails. I am the Lord's, and God prevails. I am the Lord's, and God prevails. That's what happens. That's, that's what it is that casts out fear. That's what it is that, that satisfies our soul. The fact that I am the Lord's. When we are drenched with the Holy Spirit, it casts out fear. It satisfies our souls. It gives us strength to endure the dry seasons. Why? Because I am the Lord's. I am the Lord's. Do you have a hope? Do you have assurance? Do you have a confidence to say, I am the Lord's? That's what the Holy Spirit does. I am the Lord's, and God will prevail. God will prevail. So let me ask you, what are you afraid of? I mean, honestly, what is it that you're afraid of? even walking into this place. What are you afraid of? I know fear and the spirit of fear is very real. I know it's very powerful. And I know it's very controlling. 
And I know many Christians and not fear, it cages them. It keeps them from, from living the life that God really desires them to live. And so right now, at the core of your heart, at the core of your soul, what is it deep down that you're afraid of? Are you, are you afraid that, that you're not good enough? That's real and that's honest. Some of you say, Eric, if I was honest, I'm, I'm afraid that I'm not good enough, that God would not love me. That if God really knows all that I've done, then he wouldn't love me. I'm afraid that God may love me, but he doesn't really want me. Or I'm afraid that God loves me and he wants me, but he's not really going to use me. That's what I'm afraid of. Maybe you're here and you're saying, Eric, I'm afraid of a lot of things. Maybe, maybe you're afraid you're, you're not pretty enough. Maybe you're afraid that you'll never be loved by another person. Or, or really, the honesty, maybe you're just afraid of being alone. Maybe you're afraid of being abandoned. Maybe, maybe you're afraid you're not smart enough. Or you're not good enough. Or you won't ever get into that school that you want to get into. Or you'll never get that job that you really want to get. Maybe you're afraid you'll never make enough money to provide for your family. Maybe you're afraid you're not going to be successful enough for people to like you. Maybe, maybe you're afraid your life or your job or your marriage, they're all just a dead end. Maybe you're afraid that your life won't ever get better. Maybe you're afraid you'll never be able to overcome. Overcome that sin. Overcome that habit or that temptation. Maybe you're afraid that that struggle will always be lingering. Maybe, maybe you're afraid that you'll never get out of debt. Maybe, maybe for you, you're, you're afraid that that you're going to lose someone. Maybe you're afraid of dying. Maybe you're afraid that that person that you've been praying for will never come to Christ. Maybe you're afraid that you can't give your kids the future that you really desire for them. What is it? What is it you're afraid of? I mean, deep down, What's holding you back? I mean, what is keeping you from overcoming? What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of rejection? Are you afraid of failure? Are, afraid, are you afraid that if you step out in faith that, uh, to do something radical for God that he won't be with you? Is that what you're afraid of? Listen to me. Three 165 times in the scripture, God says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear, it traps you. It keeps you. It doesn't, it doesn't allow you to live the life that I want my children to live. Imagine if every time my kids came home to me that they were afraid of what dad was going to do. 
Like 365 times in the Bible, God says, listen, you're my child. I formed you. I knit you. You're mine. I chose you. You're mine. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Be filled with the Spirit. Listen, and listen, not only does it say fear not 365 times, it has 3,000 promises in God's word. 3,000 promises for those who are in Christ. 3,000 says, no, I will be with you. I will not forsake you. I will not harm. I'm working all things for your good. Listen, I am here. I am taking care of you. I'm near to you. I will help you. Call upon me. I'll forgive you. You come to me when you're weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. 3,000 promises are in God's word. 3,000 of them. And listen to 2 Corinthians 1. 2 Corinthians 1.20. It says, for no matter how many promises God has made, 3,000 in his word, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Are you in Christ? Then every promise of God is yes for you. Every one of them is yes for you. And so through Christ, through him, we say amen Promises of God, yes, for me in Christ. So I'll say amen. Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes us and you stand firm in Christ. Listen to this. He's anointed us and he has set his seal of ownership on us. Some people say, you don't own me. Nobody own me. Listen, it is the most glorious, great, spectacular, overwhelming, hope-filled thing to be owned by God, is it not? When he says, no, 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 you're mine and I'm yours. I've put my ownership on you. You don't have to be afraid. All my promises for you are actually yes and amen. They're for you. I'm with you. He, he, says, he says he sets his seal of ownership on us oh, and puts his spirit in our hearts as a deposit as a guarantee of what is to come. That's hope. That's a future. He says, my spirit in you is a guarantee that my promises for you are yes. Are yes. Listen, Romans 8, it says that his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we truly are children of God. When we are drenched with the Holy Spirit, we have a new identity that comes with Christ. He says, yes, that's hope. The Spirit leads me to say, I am the Lord's. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you're drenched with the Holy Spirit, you can confidently say with assurance, I am the Lord's. I am the Lord's. I am the Lord's. And the Lord will prevail. God says, I'm not giving you a spirit of fear. I want you to trust me. I've got this. You are mine. All my promises for you are yes. And so today, my encouragement to you is maybe you're in a winter season. Maybe you're in a dry season. Listen, ask God to drench your soul. Ask God to drench you with his spirit. Ask God to pour his spirit out upon you so that you can confidently stand and raise your voice and raise your hand and say, I am the Lord's. I'm the Lord's. 
And so we need the Holy Spirit to constantly fill us with hope if we're going to overcome so that we would say as a foundational truth, a foundational promise that in Christ, I am the Lord's. As the band gets ready to come, I want to close with a response time a little bit different than what we've done here in the past. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he has his boys, he has his disciples gathered around with him. And after he gives thanks, it says that he breaks the bread and he says, this is my body which is broken for you. He says, take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. Christian, I hope you realize that his body was broken so that we could be made whole. He says, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he says, this is my blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. You know, Hebrews says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. See, Jesus says, this is my sacrifice for you. Take and drink and do it in remembrance of me. And so today, I want to invite you to come. And I want you to remember that because of the body of Christ broken and the blood of Christ that was poured out, that's the only way we can say, I am the Lord's. It's because he is the media. He is the one who bridges the gap to bring me back to God through his sacrifice. And today, if I receive that sacrifice in my place, I can take and eat and I can take and drink and I can take and remember that he was the one that was poured out so that I don't have to be afraid. That I can be filled to my soul when it thirsts. That I can endure through the dry seasons. And then I can confidently say, because of Christ, I am the Lord's. And so today we've got tables to my right and tables to my left. And in the basket that's sitting there are these markers. And so I want to encourage you that when you come to the table, I want you to come and I just simply want you to to write down whatever it is that you're afraid of. Whatever it is that's holding you back, whatever it is that you're afraid that will will not, not overcome in your life, what is it that you're afraid of? And I want you to write it down and just simply leave it at the altar. Just leave it where the body of Christ and the blood of Christ washes over it all. And maybe, maybe you need to go further than that. Not just simply confess your fear, but you need to remind yourself, you need the Holy Spirit to remind you that you are the Lord's. And so the scripture says that some, they wrote on their hand, the Lord's. If that's you, you need to cling to that promise today, then just take that marker and write right on your hand, I'm the Lord's. So that whatever it is that's fearful about tomorrow, you can look and say, I am the Lord's. His body, his blood poured out for me so that I don't have to be afraid, that my soul can be satisfied, that I can endure whatever the season it is that I'm in, and I can confidently say with all of hope, I 
am the Lord's. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus. First, today we give you honor and glory and praise for not leaving us in our sin, but coming to rescue us as a great, great God. I thank you for your promise of pouring out your spirit upon us. I thank you for your 3,000 promises in your word. And Lord, today I come to you with all my baggage and all my fear and all my insecurities and all my doubts and all my unknowns. And I'm going to lay them down at this altar trusting you, God, that your body broken and your bloodshed is enough for me. That you own me, that you guarantee by your spirit that I am the Lord's. Today, wash me clean. Today, make me new. Today, let me grow up and flourish like the willows from the stream. Drench me with your spirit, O oh God. Help me cling to your promises. Fill me with hope. In Jesus' name, amen.